you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Sacred Church. Everything in God's world is sacred. Trees and toads and little girls' eyes, grandfather's hands and the murmuring of voices of lovers. Sacred. A poet's dream, almanac compilers and rocks that look up at the moon. Sacred. Everything can be church and anything can be church. Church was the first place where I came child to spirit to Christ. Suffer little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Literally, church introduced me to my very first friend. Luis and I both thought the preacher talked too long, Mrs. Sneed sang too loudly, and Brother Williams got too wild when he prayed. We both giggled at the same time and cried just as piously when we were chastised. Every time I feel the Spirit, I know I am immersed in the essence of church. That knowledge changes my voice. I speak more softly and choose my words more carefully. There are more yes ma'ams and no ma'ams and yes sirs and no sirs in my conversation. Out of my heart and out of my brain, more thank yous slide across my tongue. I am blessed. I am in church. Church is not the luggage I bear nor the cloak I wear. It is neither the hat I sport nor the shoes which carry me around my world. It is not my destination nor my place of departure. I cannot define the breadth and depth and width and height of church, but church can define me always. It slides the skin over my muscles and allows my lungs to inspire and feel so that hallelujahs like rain come from my mouth. Hallelujahs fall like rain from my lips. Church is where I go when I want a certain fulfillment. And church is where I don't have to go because it is always with me. Holding me up, propelling me forward, sustaining me. When I think about church and remember that church and I are one, I am reminded that everything in God's world is sacred. Happy February, everyone. How are you doing? The first Sunday in February. February is a good month because my wife and I can now start cooking and eating meat. We were trying to not really eat meat the month of January. And I, I met with someone this week on Tuesday to eat barbecue. And yo, whew, it was this place called Eric's Barbecue. Super good. I really recommend it. Probably top three barbecue spots in town. Does anyone else know what, what month it is, though? Y'all can talk back to me today. It's all right. Right. It's Black History Month. I saw a TikTok this week that was trending here in Phoenix. It put Phoenix on the map a little bit. That was uh, was black GCU students asking people on campus what month it was. 
let's just say not many people picked up on the answer they were looking for it being Black History Month. Well, happy Black History Month, everyone. In honor of Black History Month, I will share with you all some of my own experience within the black church. We are also following the church calendar here at Kaleo, which means we're in this season after Christmas called Epiphany. You can ask Aaron or Chris more about that if you're interested in what that means. But all that to say that there's a lot that's going on. Epiphany and Black History Month. So hopefully with God's help, I'll try my best to serve what God may be doing in this Kairos moment for us here at Kaleo. According to the church calendar, our scripture today is Luke 5, 1 through 11. Luke is such a great book to use to talk about what Jesus is like. I implore you all to read it yourselves sometime. If you've missed out on the last few messages here at Kaleo, allow me to quickly update you on where we're at now. So a few weeks ago, Chris shared with us about Jesus being baptized and the Trinity being present at Jesus' baptism. And we learned that that Jesus brings God great joy. That this was even before Jesus began his ministry, that we see God tell Jesus, you bring me great joy, my dearly loved son. We see here that God loves without conditions, which is a nice thing. It proves the statement true that we are not loved because we are so beautiful and good, but we are beautiful and good because we are loved. Then after Jesus is baptized, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and nights. And after that, he gives his inaugural speech as the true king of the world. Jesus proclaims his mission statement to everyone, which is what Aaron had shared with us a couple weeks ago. Jesus had fulfilled the hopes of his ancestors by bringing to life Isaiah 61, which he read. His reading of this sets up the whole backdrop of the book of Luke, kind of what everything's about and what it's heading towards. Jesus doesn't really hide his hand here, but he's pretty upfront about what he's about and who he stands for. Jesus pretty, is pretty quick to show us who he really is here. So it says this in, in Luke four seventeen through 21, it says, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Here, Jesus was not just talking about economically poor, but was also speaking about those who are of low social class, those who are disadvantaged in society. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've heard has been fulfilled this very day. What a boss, right? A boss moved by Jesus here as he proclaimed his mission. We see here that his mission was not just otherworldly and spiritual, but was more of a social here and now type of mission. He then goes to Galilee and looks to find other people who would join him on this mission. And so that's where we find ourselves today in the story. And allow me to read the passage for us today, and then we'll talk. But in, in honor of us looking back and reflecting on, on black church and in my own experience, I'll have us stand up for the reading of today's word. In Luke 5, 1 through 11. 
One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down in your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners into the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Please be seated. Let's pray. God, you are in the air that we breathe. You're in the walls around us in the stained glass windows. In the seats that were sunk into, Jesus, and in the the floor that our feet are on. You are in all of your creation, Father, and you are here with us today, Jesus. Father, I ask that you speak to us. Let anything that I would say be moved out the way, Father, but allow you to enter to the minds and the hearts of everyone in this room, Father. In your name I pray, amen. Yet again, we witness Jesus go from guest to host. He first became a guest onto Simon's, who he later affectionately calls Peter. Jesus is always giving people's nicknames. But he, he becomes a guest onto Simon's boat and then becomes the host as he instructed Peter to go out into the sea to cast his net again into the water so that he may gain fish. According to the Bible's narrative, Jesus' mission at this moment was to gather people who would follow his way of life and form a community that would reflect the kingdom of God. Now, this was Jesus' mission at this moment. And, and Peter's mission at this moment was, well, to catch fish for a living. And apparently he wasn't able to do that last night. At the end of their interaction, Jesus gives Peter a vision that collides both of their visions to fish for people. As always, Jesus of Nazareth proves to be pretty clever. And even though Jesus used the perfect bait to gain Peter as a follower, it appears that it was truly Simon Peter who was deeply impacted by this interaction. It says that Peter was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught. There were so many fish that his boat was on the verge of sinking. And it was in this moment that Jesus became someone special in the eyes of Peter. 
Peter's amazement most likely stems from two things. One, the event being uncommon, right? That this was probably not a normal thing Peter witnesses of being so many fish that his boat was sinking. It was uncommon and even miraculous, right? And, and then two, the second thing, recognizing that this person who was teaching on his boat was someone who appeared to be larger than life for Peter. Now, I don't understand why Peter didn't have the same reaction a few verses back uh, of deciding to follow Jesus when Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Maybe there was something fishy going on with the relationship. But up we don't know, right? We don't know what was going on there. However, after this encounter, Peter hangs up his nets and leaves his fishing career and becomes a disciple, then an apostle of Jesus. As far as Luke tells us, this is Peter's origin story as a disciple. For some of you, your initial following of Jesus may also be a marker in your own life and spiritual journey as one of amazement. The Jesus you were handed, though, may look different than the Jesus that you follow now. But we'll get to that later. What's special is that when Jesus becomes the host, we see the space become sacred. The boat that Peter owned became a sacred space for him as he encountered Jesus, who he saw as worth following. He began to have a certain lens and viewpoint of Jesus that made him attractive. The space turned sacred for him because it became a defining moment in his life that garnered meaning and is where everything changed for him. That boat became a space where he had a meaningful time and became a significant marker in his life. He had felt seen and heard by Jesus. Sacred spaces become meaningful to us. Think of what may be a sacred space for you and why. Take time to contemplate on that now. What are the sacred spaces in your own life? What is a space you find to be full of Safety, full of joy and peace. Think of the spaces you occupy in the past or present that are sacred for you. Take time to contemplate on that now. For me, the black church I grew up in was a sacred space. I was born in the town of Hickory, North Carolina, and moved to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, when I was just a year old. My immediate family and I moved away from my cousins, my aunts and uncles and grandparents in North Carolina to Iowa. My family found this black church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to attend that was named Shekinah Glory Baptist Church. Then led a change to Oak Hill Jackson Community Church, which I believe was the first black non-denominational church in the city. The church had become an extended family to me. That While I was away from 
my, my extended family, my grandparents and cousins, the church became that for me. Members of the church became my aunts and uncles and cousins. It was members of the church who would pick me up from school when I got sick, when my parents couldn't. It was members from the church who would watch and babysit my brother and I. It was a safe space filled with others who looked like me while I was in a neighborhood in school that was vastly white. When I was a young kid, I would be at church every day after school. We played games together, ate with one another, cracked jokes with one another. We were family. They loved me well, and I had no reason to not believe what they were telling me about God and Jesus and who he was. And this is is what started my viewpoint and lens and started my journey of following Jesus. My black church peers, who were like cousins and siblings to me, were therapeutic for me. My black church growing up was a place of joy. We went to this camp called Kids Across America that was a majority of black urban youth across America. The camp saying is that hype is a ministry. That, that, that energy, that the hypeness that you put into things, that, that itself is a ministry. And every morning at the camp, there was a cheer that we had at breakfast to start off everyone's day. The youth and kids at my black church in Iowa took that cheer and we did it together every Sunday morning at church. The kids would run around the sanctuary and the church alongside the adults cheering G-O-O-D-M-O-R-N-I-N-G, good morning, eh, eh, good morning, eh, eh, eh. Yet, at the same time, my black church was a place full of suffering. We had a time for testimonies every Sunday where people shared their financial struggle, their struggle to fit in white America and the adversity that they faced. The church was in a low-income black community that suffered from the ramifications of redlining and systemic racist systems that led to to the low social status of the community's residents. One of my earlier memories of the church was helping record a gospel album called Crossover, It was songs retelling the story of the Israelites enslaved by the Egyptians and their story of freedom. Their song was a cry out to God. And the the first song was was a cry to God that went, How long will the pain go? Will the moaning Go unheard. When will we cross over? Can you imagine how I pictured Jesus as a child? Now, this was a Jesus who I loved to follow, a Jesus who who felt like family and identified with the plight of black Americans. James Cone is a black theologian who, in his book, God the Oppressed, discussed how black American slaves best viewed Jesus as a liberator. Their viewpoint and lens of Jesus was him being a liberator. Just as God had Moses free the Israel slaves in Egypt, Slaves in America believed Jesus and his religion offered them that same freedom. Cone states during the time of slavery in America, while white Christians were debating theology and doctrine, 
Black slaves were singing songs of Jesus as liberator who will set them free. This is the beginning of black Americans following Jesus. Following a person who my ancestors believed would free them from their enslavement. This is the beginning of the black church. Do you recognize Jesus as liberator in your own life? Do you have this view and lens of Jesus? In Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited, he tells a story of being questioned for his faith in India. He tells a story of sitting with another professor who couldn't quite make sense of Thurman's intelligence and his allegiance to Christianity. It didn't make sense to him. The professor questioned how Thurman could claim a faith where there were white Christians who were slaveholders of his own people from the past. He states that the person who wrote Amazing Grace was himself a slaveholder and that one of the slave ships that brought black people from Africa into the Americas was called Jesus. Thurman's entire book is a response to this conversation he had with this professor. In the book, he talks about the actual religion of Jesus, inferring that there is a false Jesus in America and that those who take in this false Jesus refuse to take in the Jewish Jesus of Nazareth who lived in poverty. My wife caught on to this as we were visiting an old friend of hers in Kansas City who asked Aaron to pray for her friend because her friend was struggling to believe in Jesus. After our time together hanging out with her and we got back into the car to drive home, Aaron replied to me later on saying, I don't know if I believe in that Jesus either. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer also hints on there being multiple Jesuses in America. Bonhoeffer is a German theologian and pastor during Hitler's dictatorship in Germany. Bonhoeffer speaks to the two Jesuses in America, telling us there was a white Christ and a black Christ, and this is what's said about him. Bonhoeffer wrote about two incompatible versions of Jesus in America, a black Christ and a white Christ, who were pitied against each other in a destructive rift. It was clear that Bonhoeffer related far more profoundly to the black Christ, not as a recrafting of Jesus into a, a man of African descent, but understanding Jesus to identify as a co-sufferer with the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. It was in the black church that Bonhoeffer began to understand discipleship to include costly suffering and solidarity with disenfranchised people. The black church has such a rich and beautiful understanding of Jesus, and you will miss it if you never understand the importance of being a guest and learner from those who are different from you. Learning from the margins of society. Where are those who are in the margins of society around you in your own life? Listen to them. Let them lead. And allow them to be a guest in your home and heart. And allow them to turn into the host as you sit under them and you learn from them. I believe that you will be blessed for it. And I know what I've been. And I, and I know probably around here, here, here in, this, in this church today that 8 out of 10 Christians would most likely say and believe that Jesus calls us to care for the lost, least, and left out. However, how many actually choose to do life with those who identify as being in the margins? I have a friend who adopted a Latina girl who faced adversity through seizures. She she's now doesn't have her complete mo mobility because of the seizures that she faced. 
My friend shares the story that he heard God tell him to come closer to his daughter while they're in the hospital bed. He, he gets into the hospital bed with her, looking at her, being with her face to face. Later, my friend discovered God telling him to come closer to his suffering, adopt a daughter, was also God telling him to come closer to Jesus, because that is where Jesus is at, in the suffering with the margins. I have learned myself of the, to have pride and culture and ethnicity for my Latinx brothers and sisters I, love, I serve alongside at Neighborhood Ministries. There's a strong sense of pride they carry when talking about their heritage and culture. I have also learned the significance of honoring the lives of those who have gone before us from this, from this same group of people. We had celebrated something that we called the Day of Remembrance with the, with the youth at Neighborhood Ministries, which is kind of a spin of their, their celebration, Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos. And also a couple of weekends ago, I attended a Latinx memorial service that went from 5 p.m. Sunday to noon Monday. While I was there, I was just told that this is just kind of the thing that we do in our culture. Uh, all night to the morning, honoring and celebration of someone's life. I had learned from my Middle Eastern refugee brothers and sisters to be hospitable with what you have. In a trip to Macedonia, I, alongside my peer, served refugees living in tents, between the border of Macedonia and Greece. And so Greece was kicking them out. They didn't want them to be there anymore. And Macedonia was allowing them to, to be let into the country. And so they kind of were hanging out at the border. And while we were visiting with them, they would offer us food, water, and hospitality. I have learned the journey of becoming sincere and accepting the true self from my LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. There is so much more to learn from the black church than I have time to share with you all today in this moment. But I encourage you all to do your own learning, digging, and listening to the black church and gain inspiration from its impact on our culture and how it models what the kingdom of God may look like. But sadly, church is the most segregated hour because of the safe space that black churches and ethnic churches are to its members. It's a time when people of color do not have to assimilate to whiteness or code switch, right, and can be fully authentically themselves without systemic or cultural restraint. Today, the black church is still a place of safety and a getaway for many black Americans. However, multiple studies and researchers somehow state that the black church is on the decline. Now, I, I don't know what's going on there, really, and I can speak to that, but I, can, I can't really speak to others, but from my own heart, for unity and reconciliation is what kind of influenced me to branch out into other spaces throughout my life story to help model God's kingdom on earth in my best effort. However, I quickly found that in these spaces impacted by whiteness, my black church experience was neither really valued or heard. Efficiency and excellence were the greatest value, leaving no room for my love of church as family, joy, and a sharing of suffering. So, now where do I go? This is why I'm glad there's a space like Kaleo where I can bring my black church experience to the table. However, there are times I still go back to the sweet, sacred space of black church to bless me and to speak to me. 
And I, I believe Peter did the same thing here in going back to a sacred space. According to John's gospel, after Jesus' death, Peter returns back to fishing. We often criticize Peter at this moment as giving up on Jesus and returning to his old way of life. However, though, if we look closer, we can choose to believe that Peter had actually returned to the sacred space where he first became a follower of Jesus. The sacred space where he felt awe and amazement by Jesus, hopefully hoping to feel it again. So it says this in John's account. It says, later Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. And so they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. To Peter's surprise, the risen Jesus reenacts the same scenario and shows up for him just like he did back then by instructing Peter to cast his nets in the deep water to catch fish. The fond memory of the boat being a sacred space that Peter had was also simultaneously a person. It was Jesus himself who was a sacred space for Peter we see here. Now, this is why we see Peter rush to Jesus in this scene as he leaves the boat. Jesus became a person of hope and safety to Peter. And Jesus allowed Peter to belong with him. Jesus becomes the sacred space and asks us as well to become a sacred space for people. And perhaps that is what is meant to fish for people. To become a sacred space for others to come to and delight in. Are you a person others feel comfortable around? Why or why not? Do people who occupy the margins feel safe in your presence? Erin shared a couple of weeks ago that she doesn't believe that it's too much to ask to be surrounded by friends who identify as abolitionists, who are for the freedom of others. People who bring good news to the poor and are seeking the freedom of the oppressed. Would you consider yourself that? Honestly, though, I'm sure that it's hard for some of us to to be that. Because it's never has been modeled for us. The cold hard truth, though, is that not everyone has a space where they have felt heard, understood, and believed in. Especially a faith space that has done that for them. It is hard for us to be a sacred space for others if we have never found one ourselves. If the Jesus you've interacted with is not a safe and sacred space, I challenge you to question if that is Jesus at all. 
Sometimes we have a lens of Jesus that is through the eyes of the pastor who hurt us, parents who hurt us, or other Christians who have abused us. And if this is you, I implore you to seek therapy and to seek healing. Healing of yourself will allow you to be a healing and soothing presence for others. To be an oasis in the desert for people who are looking for water, who are looking for sacred spaces. Take time to say goodbye to the Christ in your life who has been harmful and unhelpful to the true social problems and injustices in our society. It may take honest time to grieve and lament this departure of a false Christ if you are experiencing this right now, in this moment. The good news is that because of Jesus, the the kingdom has been established here on earth and is modeled through the church. Our brothers and sisters, that is the good news. And and that church is a people, right? Church is us. And I believe in my own experience that church is family. And so since we are family, I want to share my experience with you. So for the rest of our time together, I want you to come with me back. Back into my sacred space with viewing Jesus as liberator. We'll wait to see if Jesus shows up for us again. If you can, to take a deep breath with me. To get in a comfortable position in your, in your seat, sinking down into the pews. and Close your eyes and just be still for this moment. To be still as I read again this poem by Maya Angelou called It's Sacred Church. It's sacred, church. Everything in God's world is sacred. Trees and toads and little girls' eyes, grandfather's hands, and the murmuring of voices of lovers. Sacred. A poet's dream, almanac compilers and rocks that look up at the moon. Sacred. Everything can be church and anything can be church. Church was the first place where I came, child to spirit, to Christ. Suffer little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Literally, church introduced me to my very first friend. Luis and I both thought that the preacher talked too long, Mrs. Sneed sang too loudly, and Brother Williams got too wild when he prayed. We both giggled at the same time and cried just as piatlessly when we were chastised. Every time I feel the spirit, I know I'm immersed in the essence of church. That knowledge changes my voice. I speak more softly and choose my words more carefully. There are more yes ma'ams and no ma'ams and yes sirs and no sirs in my conversation. Out of my heart, out of my brain, more Thank yous slide across my tongue. I am blessed. I am in church. Church is not the luggage I bear nor the cloak I wear. It is neither the hat I sport nor the shoes which carry me around my world. It is not my destination nor my place of departure. I cannot define the breadth and depth and width and height of church. But church can define me always. 
It slides the skin over my muscles and allows my lungs to inspirate and feel so that hallelujahs like rain come from my mouth. Hallelujahs fall like rain from my lips. Church is where I go when I want a certain fulfillment. And church is where I don't have to go because it is always with me, holding me up, propelling me forward, sustaining me. When I think about church and remember that church and I are one, I'm reminded that everything in God's world is sacred. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.